Welcome to the Trauma Tapes. I'm Dr. MC McDonald, a PhD trauma researcher, author, and life coach. I'm here with my sister, Elizabeth Meadows. On this podcast, we read your letters, give you advice, and help you heal without shame. Before we get into this week's episode, I have a really exciting announcement. I wrote a book. It's called Unbroken, The Trauma Response is Never Wrong, and it is available for pre-order right now. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any of your indie bookstores, wherever you buy books. It's about trauma, the trauma response, shame, and how to heal. I can't wait for you to read it, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Welcome to the Trauma Tapes. Hi, Lisa. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's actually like... um... Sunny. I knew you were going to talk about the weather. <laughs> because it's unusual. It's sunny and it's like 50 something degrees. Oh my God. In Boston in February. So oh, it's like crazy. I, all the windows are open. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's nice. I'll take uh, it. I was on a bike ride the other day and I was like, I could never live on the East Coast. Again. <laughs> I don't blame you. Because it's like February 6th or whatever. And it's like, you know, almost 70 degrees. Like I had a jacket on, but like. <laughs> I know. And it was sunny. And I was just like, it, uh, the, the one thing, and this is like Crimea River, I never know what season it is. It's going to take me so many years to figure it out because it's February, but it's like 70. So I'm like, is it fall? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I get very confused about what, what month we're in. It's so strange how like, the, I don't know how, how our identities are kind of based on that kind oh, totally. of that stuff. Like there was an article recently in the Boston Globe that was saying, you know, because it's a relatively warm winter. And it's like, what are we going to do as New Englanders if we can't bitch about the weather, basically? <laughs> like that that's our whole thing. That's our shtick. And like, what if we like lose that? You know, that's how we like define ourselves and how tough we are and, you know, <laughs> how stupid the rest of the com- country is. And it's like, wh- now what? What do we do? <laughs> well, this you just then you just bitch about the change and you can do that for like a good 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> OK, good. So I'm covered. <laughs> yeah, you're covered. Okay. She's like, man, it used to be cold here. And then you can complain like about the younger generations and how they don't know suffering because, you know, there's a lot of, oh, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. Okay, good, good. I feel like I have a plan now. It was just funny. Like, what are we going to do? You know? Yeah. Well, if you think about it, like the weather is like the, it's part of the rhythm of like your day-to-day life. Like it's, it, yeah. it's the backdrop of everything. Of course it matters, you know? Yeah. Okay. So we have a little bit of a different letter this week. Should we just jump right in? Sure. Okay. Dear Trauma Tapes, I'm ashamed of my past, but not because of things I've done or not done. I'm ashamed because of my circumstances. I'm the oldest of three. My dad was an alcoholic and my mom was just basically trying to survive. I ended up as sort of a third parent. We were poor and I don't really need to go into all the details here, but it is enough to say that it was not an ideal childhood. Put it this way, the cops were at the house pretty frequently. I'm successful now. I work in finance, have a nice place, and very little contact with my family or really anyone who knew me at that time. But I feel so much shame when I'm dating a new woman and the topic of the past comes up. I don't think people want to date people who have had this kind of trauma in their past. Even friends don't want to hear about it. No one knows what to say except I'm sorry. Either that or they want to obsess over the fact that I somehow got successful. I got out because I had to. I have success now because I work hard, because I always worked hard, because I was basically a parent by the time I was six. I'm at the point where I think I might make up a past instead of sharing the real one. What do you think? We were just talking about telling the truth. Yeah. 
Um, the first thing that comes to mind is, and I don't think we've talked about it this season really at all, is the idea of a relational home. Yeah. So if trauma, if so the definition of trauma that I use is an unbearable experience that lacks a relational home. So when you have something that's unbearable, but you don't have anyone who can relate to you about it, then what was potentially traumatic is much more likely to become lasting trauma. And I mean, it sounds like the situation is beyond potentially traumatic anyway, but what you're describing is that you have no one to relate to about this situation, that most of your peers, or maybe potentially even all of them, simply do not understand. Right. And that's so profoundly isolating. Yeah. What do you think? What are, what's your first thought? Um, I, you know, I, I'm a little thrown by this and, and not in a bad way. I, I mean, I, I understand the, the desire to protect your story in a way. Um, and I also know that trying to compartmentalize certain parts of your life does not work long-term. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only way I can relate to this is like, I think of our lives before mom and dad died and after mom and dad died. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of times that I don't want to go into the before place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I also know that when I'm able to integrate it on some level and it's a struggle, mm-hmm. that's where peace comes mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm if that makes any sense, but I get not wanting to share the information. Mm-hmm. I get not wanting people to feel sorry yeah, for you, yeah, me. Yeah. I, I get when you see the look on someone's face because mm-hmm. you've shared something that they don't know how to react to. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I really understand the need or the desire to hold that close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? Completely. And I think, again, like that's usually because, I mean, I think there's there's probably more than two reasons, but the first two reasons you might do that, that come to mind are that number one, you don't want to go back there and feel it, right? right? You're like at work or you're on a date. This guy's talking about being on a date, like hanging out with friends and, and some casual question comes up and, you know, someone says, oh, what, you know, what was it like in your town when you grew up? And you're just like, fuck, like, I don't want to even go there. And right. two, the other idea is that like, you don't want to have that, uh, that continued experience of a relational failure, because I really mm-hmm. think if society handled these things better, you would feel that a lot less. Like if people at the table, so let's think about what, a, what an ideal reaction to this would be, because that seems like important to kind of sketch out, not just to notice what you're not getting, but to be like, okay, what would it be like for someone to like sit with that in a way that felt like they were attuned. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, Which is hard. It's hard because it's also like the, the sound bite in a way it's right. You know, someone's not getting the full story, the full mm-hmm. picture. So it's, we all make assumptions and judgments and try mm-hmm. to put people in categories, you know, consciously and unconsciously. So it, it so that doesn't answer your question. What what would I, like if this if this guy was sitting across the table, like let's say you're out to coffee with like a new friend at work. Yeah. And you're talking about Longmeadow. We grew up in a very idyllic town, right? Yeah. So and you're talking about like bike riding around Longmeadow and going to Bliss Pool and all this stuff. And you're like, what was it like where you grew up? And he's like, mm-hmm. Oh, dad was an alcoholic. I was basically a parent. You know, cops were at the house. I you know, I I hope that I, I 
I would like to say I, that must've been very difficult for you. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds awful. Right. Without judgment and, and without the, the, um, the caveat of like, Oh, but you're so successful now, you know? Right. 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 Like, yeah, we make everything like a, like a, right. You know, Oh, you're so resilient. And you're like, cool. And you just totally pasted over all the pain that got me here. Thanks. Because it makes us uncomfortable. Right. Because we need to like, you know, reframe it. Like, like, Oh, I'm having this moment where like, this is uncomfortable. Right. um, And I don't know what to do. So I'm going to try and put a positive spin on it immediately. Right. So uh, the ideal reaction, I, I think, for me would be, that must've been really difficult. Yeah. What do you think? You know, this is, I don't know if this is right, but like, I think, so the, the field in philosophy that I was most tied to, um, was, it's called phenomenology and phenomenology is the study of basically what it, what it is like. So Mm -hmm. what is it like to have PTSD? What is it like to be a combat veteran? What is it like to have schizophrenia? Like these were the things I was looking at um, in my research and stuff. And I, I think one of the reasons why I'm so obsessed with that as someone who brings psychology into the, into the equation, which most phenomenologists do also is like, that can be an attuned question, you know, like I, and, but I, so let me just like get to the point. <laughs> I go to the place of curiosity where I'm like, oh, wow, what was that like? Yeah. You know, so you were seven and you had to like cook dinner. Like, what did you cook? Like, how, who taught you? What was that like? Who did the dishes? Like, right? did did you get any downtime? Did you watch TV? Did you have friends? What was it like when you went to their house? Like, I just go to that place of curiosity with it, because I think that there's kind of inherently no judgment in that, you know, if you try and go to that moment with that person. Yeah. Okay. Or even just ask in a general sense, like what, what was that like and see, and then they might say it was awful. And then you say, you know, I can imagine that. What do you want to tell me more? Right. I also think we can bring a lot into the room that we don't like, we make ourselves weirdos unnecessarily. I think we can say things like, wow, that's not what I expected you to say. Right. I'm not sure what to say. Right. What is it like talking about this, you know, on a date or at a coffee with a friend? Like, how much do you want to get into your story? Is that something you want to keep talking about? I'm certainly interested. You know, like. I think that's great to ask questions like that. Yeah. Like, how far do you want to get into it? Like, yeah. Right, right, right. What are you comfortable with? Right. Right. Like, wow, I'd really love to hear more about that. That's really different than my experience. Right. That's good. Like we can call that stuff out instead of like making ourselves weirdos because then the other person, we end up compartmentalizing and then the other person is just like, oh, they're judging me. And usually probably what's happening. I'm sure people are judging you sometimes. I don't mean to dismiss that, but I think more often people are like, oh shit, I don't want, I don't know what to say. And then they say weird things. Right. You know? And then it becomes this like cycle. Right. Of I don't want to sh- share because this is the reaction that I get. And then, right. yeah. Right. Right. It's like vulnerability. It's, yep. you know, being faced with someone's vulnerability and what do you do with, what, what do you do in that moment? Right. What do we all and do I, in that moment? Right. And I think like another thing is just, you know, if you're in this situation where someone is disclosing something to you and you're feeling like, oh shit, I'm uncomfortable. Like, could you pause? <laughs> yeah. And like sit in the discomfort for like 20 seconds 
Right. Instead of being like, which I know is hard. I'm not saying that I always do that. Um, but that's actually something I'm, oh, I'm constantly fighting with clients is not going right into fix it mode. Yeah. You know, like, it's like, could you pause and just sit with your own discomfort, with their discomfort, with the thing that just got said, could you give it a little room, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When that is done, when that is done on any level, it's, it's a beautiful moment. It's, it a, is. Um, yeah. Yeah. There, there's a lot there, you know? Completely. I think, um, he mentioned something in there about like, people don't want to date people who have trauma. Right. And I think, you know, unfortunately I think that is sometimes true. And I think those are people that you don't want to date. Exactly. I don't even think that I know those are people you don't want to date because right. those are people who are coming in with instant judgment and that judgment doesn't go anywhere good. Like right. if you passed their initial tests in the beginning and you didn't have any trauma and you like got through or whatever to the next stage, they're going to judge you about something else too right. harshly. Like that's right. not an attuned, emotionally mature person. And right. I, I know that's easy for me to say, and it's really disappointing to encounter, but um, it might kind of be like a good filter in a way, you know? Yeah. That tells you everything you know need to know about them. Right. Right. Not about you. Right. And there's one more layer to this, which is that like, and I, I want this to be received the right way. Um, so I want to be careful about saying it. I can feel the anger and mm. resentment and distancing in the two paragraph letter. And you have every right to feel that way. You had an upbringing that you shouldn't have had to live through. Mm -hmm. And if that's coming out in the letter, it's probably coming out in conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you integrate some of your past and also some of these experiences of relational failure, you mm -hmm. might be able to present the story in a way that feels a lot better to you. That's Which cool. is, again, not to say that you shouldn't feel angry or resentful, but that that's not a place to live and set up camp. Yeah. That you got to, that's, that's a sign that, that the stuff is, hasn't yet been integrated completely. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to think of like what it would look like to give you like a counterpoint to that. Like what would it look like to tell a story in an integrated way? What would it feel like? Right. I mean, I think it would feel a lot less like you sound like you're a little bit at war with yourself. And again, I totally get it. Like when I, when I um, started my PhD program right after mom died and um, I was in a PhD program with seven people, very intense, seven year program with seven other humans. Like you're going to get to know each other's past. And I didn't tell anyone that mom and dad had died. And so what ended up happening is that we would um, like, it comes up like, <laughs> Christmas yeah. break came up and some people were traveling home and people were like, Oh, are you going to your parents? Or where do your parents live? And I was like, in the ground, <laughs> they're dead. Yeah. And, and you were young, you know? Yeah. I was 25, but like, yeah. pe you know, people were um, horrified at the way that it came out, which I was mad about. And I like, still am a little mad about, you know, <laughs> right. Cause people immediately go to like, why didn't you, how could you not tell me that? And I'm like, fuck you. You don't get to know what I get to tell you whatever I want to tell you. And I don't, I didn't tell you because you were going to react like that, you know? Right. Because I didn't now, feel safe. I didn't feel like I could. Right. Now you're sad and I have to deal with your sadness. And then right. also you're disappointed in me and I have to deal with that and all this other shit. And on top of it, like you're going home to your fucking family and I'm uh -huh. alone in my goddamn apartment. Right. 
because I'm 25 and my parents are dead. So fuck yourself. So like, I get the anger. (laughs) (laughs) I get the anger. And now like, I think when I meet somebody new and we're talking about that, I say like, you know, my parents are dead and I feel the sadness of that. Yeah. And I, I will say something like, it's really hard sometimes to not go home for Christmas. And yeah, it's sometimes kind of great to not go anywhere for Christmas, you know, like, which I'm presenting it from where I am authentically, but it just feels a lot less charged. You know what I mean? Combative. It feels a lot less like, Mm -hmm. because I'm not at war with myself and then I don't go to war with them and they don't go to war with me. And it's not like this big mess. It's just like, yeah, you know, here's so maybe the thing would be like, you know, I had a really hard childhood, right? I was in a situation where I had to become a parent basically at six and that yeah. sucked. And I'm trying now to kind of reclaim my childhood. Yeah. And there's also like, you know, e- even <clears throat> when you get to a place where you're, it's integrated and you, and you, you're, you know, some time has passed, whatever, whatever you, you have done in order to get to a better place. There's still days where it feels lousy, you know, hundred percent. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not like it goes away. It's not like it's can be solved or you're still going to get that one reaction. That's Mm -hmm. like, you know what? Mm -hmm. I hate that I shared that because I hate the look on your face right now. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And then I have to take care of you and your response. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then go home and feel like, oh, does this person judge me now that I said that? Right. right. Yeah. So w- would you rec- like would you recommend working with someone to kind of? Or- yeah, I mean, I don't know. They they didn't say anything about whether they had. Um, if you haven't, uh, you know, I would I would I would bring this into a therapist or a coach and talk about like I don't know how to integrate this part of my past. There's a lot there when you grow up with an alcoholic parent like that. I mean, there's talk about trauma. There's a lot of trauma just in that. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, to have uh, financial concerns at that age, you know, there's, there's a lot there to, to sort through that you couldn't possibly have sorted through at that age. You know, I also think he didn't say anything about this in the letter, but, um, there's an incredible amount of like embarrassment when you're a kid and your life doesn't look like the other kids' lives. And yeah. you probably had to do a ton of work to hide what was going yeah. on at your house. And yeah. when there's cop cars at the house, you can't hide it. So there's an incredible, I've actually seen this in a bunch of clients, like really young stories where there's an ambulance or there's a cop car at the house. And all of a sudden now the neighborhood knows and the kid has the realization of that and holds on to that even more than like the circumstances surrounding why the cops are at the house. Mm-hmm. Because when you're developing, you are, you absolutely need to be in and stay a part of the pack. And right. if you get any kind of whiff of like, I'm not like them, you're suddenly in danger. Right. Um, and so there, yeah. So all of that is to say, there's a lot to unpack here. And I know that you're at a, a level where you have some success and like, a good job and and stuff like that. But I would highly recommend going through some of this and working with someone about how to integrate these pieces of your past. Internal family systems work would probably be really great because you're that's a, a modality where you look at the different parts of yourself and integrate them. 
And given the fact that this happened when you were so young, there are different parts of you that are unintegrated. So there's a part of you that was protecting your family, even though you were six or seven, and a part of you that actually wanted to have a childhood. And so how can you bring those parts into the room and have uh, have some integration there? So you could look for a therapist who works on that. And then, you know, I think also a lot of work can be done outside of therapy with friends and learning and reading books about things like this. And um, you can do that too. Yeah. If you feel ready, it also could be that there there's a good 10 year, you know, part of your life where you're like, I don't really want to look at this right now. And that's fine. That's more than fine. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to. Right. And if something doesn't feel right, you can turn away from it right now. You know, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I feel like, and I've said this the past couple of podcasts, because this is where my head is now, but like listening to other people's stories is like, or reading other people's stories is just huge. Yes. And that's, I'm so glad you brought that up because can you find people who did have stories like yours Yeah, and look at their memoirs or their podcast series or their TV shows or whatever, so that you can see that you are, and you might not be able to like actually meet those people, but that can be a relational home too. When you recognize that there's other people that have that story. Right that starts to chip away at some of this feeling of like, I'm the only one. Yeah. I, I would, there's two that I can recommend off the top of my head. It's um, the, the Anderson Cooper podcast. So good. Um, the Molly Shannon episode. Yeah. She, she kind of talked about the childhood thing and kind of like getting like the story blown up a little bit. Um, yeah. And then also Viola Davis's memoir was mm-hmm. so powerful. And um her story's amazing. So mm-hmm. those are just two like off the top of my head that I've listened to recently that are. Yep. The Anderson Cooper podcast is called All There Is. Thank you. Which is about grief and it's amazing. But the, I mean, the Molly Shannon episode was great. They were all great. Just read, just, it's like six episodes. Just listen to the whole thing. But she talked about like being a kid and like mm-hmm. trying to hide the fact that her mom, you know, had died mm-hmm. in, in kind of a, an awful way. And then having that story like blown a little bit and how that felt. Yep. 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 And having one person who could relate to. Right. Yeah. I feel like I'm forgetting something. I also feel like there's like an age aspect here. And I, this is like, I feel like this person's in their twenties. They did not say, and I have no idea. Twenties or thirties. Like I think as you get older, you encounter, or if you can hang out with older people or encounter some older people at work, you get a much like more diverse um, kind of like tapestry of people's lives, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And I also just want to say like, I'm, I'm, I, you shouldn't have had to grow up that way. That sucks. And I do think the other thing you can try to do is to reclaim some of your childhood. Mm-hmm. I think I've kind of always believed since since having dad as a dad that you, when you don't get a childhood, you can have an opportunity later in life to have a child. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That was, that was very dad. Yeah. You're right. And also that like, it's not, it's, it's a lifelong journey. It's not that you Mm -hmm. integrate and you're done. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, this is, these things are not problems that need to be. Yep solved immediately. I mean, they're, I talk about this all the goddamn time. And like, I, I just, I want billboards and like planes with like banners, like our memories are supposed to have emotional content. When you talk about something sad, you're going to feel a little sad. Yeah. 
that does not mean you haven't healed it. I think when we try to block everything away, we end up doing more harm than good because that's an unintegrated way of looking at the past. Yeah. You have to give yourself some grace. Yeah. I don't want to have anything to do with people that don't have trauma, to be honest. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Someone like, I can't remember where I, where I heard it, but it was, I think it might've been that Anderson Cooper thing. Like some, someone said like, you know, some of the people who have been through nothing in their lives are the most miserable people I've ever come across. Totally. Totally. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's the thing. I think it's really hard to get like a realistic perspective. Yeah. When you haven't had perspective shoved down your throat by external <laughs> circumstances that are tragic. Right. Well, thank you for sharing. Thank you for writing in. Yeah. Yes. And I hope this was helpful. Keep us posted. Um, if you hate what we said, please also keep us posted because, you know. That's okay too. It's totally okay. Do you have a tiny little joy? I do, but it's like kind of like a heavy, big joy. That's, oh, that's good though. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, you're you're talking about your your next book idea, which is about triggers. So I think that's kind of like been on my mind a lot. And um, let's try to make this short. Um, I have a friend at work who is going through a eerily similar situation to what we went through and that she has mm-hmm. a sibling that is sick, has been in the hospital for 30 days. They don't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get information, but she's part of a big family. So they're mm-hmm. all texting and calling. And, and you know, yeah. I think one of the things, all the, you know, there's a lot of good um, when you're in a situation like this and you have people that you can share it with that are so close to you, but there's also a lot of um, confusion and mm-hmm. heavy feelings. And because for me, it felt like I had my own feelings and then I had to kind of mm-hmm. absorb everyone else's feelings on the, on the matter. So this has been going on for a while and it's been putting me in like a really like strange place. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's bringing up a lot for me. And, and, um, I've been thinking about it a lot. Like, wow, this, like this, this feels kind of yucky. And, Mm -hmm. um, I I think this is a trigger. I think this is what Mm -hmm. people would call a trigger. Totally. And instead of shutting it down and saying, this is a trigger, Mm -hmm. I find that I have been able to be present for my friends in a way that, um, is really meaningful for Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. that, that it's like reframed in a way that, Mm -hmm. that I can say to her, I understand, you know, I, I, I know what it's like mm-hmm. to, um, try to communicate with, with siblings in a situation mm-hmm. like this. Yeah. I, and somehow that's like, because my initial reaction was to like turn away from it and to shut yeah. down and to say like, Oh, yeah. this feels yucky. And I, you know, I don't want to do this because yeah. this is like making me sad and, and making me, um, anxious. And then I was, and then I, somehow was able to reframe it. And, um, I think it's helped her, which is, that's huge. Yeah. I'm sure it's helped her. Like, so triggers are not bad. Fucking yes. (laughs) (laughs) Is, Is my long way of saying that I ranted this week because I, um, I heard about the schools in this area, uh, sent out this email about, um, like, it was like, it's, it's like in biology class, it's time to like dissect something. And like, they're going to be talking about, uh, function like anatomy and function. And that's going to bring up this issue of disability. And so the schools wrote this, this letter about like, if your child, and it was, 
I get where they're coming from. And this is my next thing. Um, the, the, you know, if your child is uncomfortable at any point, they can opt out, they can opt out, they can opt out. It said they can opt out probably 15 times in a mm-hmm. four paragraph letter. And I wanted to like scream and, and run to all the schools immediately and be like, can we not teach our children that anytime they feel uncomfortable, the only thing available to them is to opt out Yeah, because what a trigger is and any discomfort, if we want to just go ahead and label any discomfort a trigger is trying to tell you something. Right. And if you can actually turn to it and listen to what it's saying, then you will learn a lot about yourself and you actually become more resilient. Right. So like when I teach, I teach a class in the summer at Holy Cross called um, Trauma and the Troubled Mind. And we are looking at trauma the entire time. And it's a very intense because it's a summer intensive class with me every day. It's like a, it's an intense class. And in the beginning I say, I'm not going to do trigger warnings. What I am going to do is say here, we're going to talk about upsetting things. You might recognize yourself in this material in a way that you didn't realize before now. Mm -hmm. That can be very jarring. It can also be really helpful to engage with things that are personally upsetting in an academic setting. And so I would encourage you, if you can, to stay with it. And if you try to stay with it and you still can't, you're, of course, welcome at any point to let me know. And we can make an alternative plan. Mm -hmm. Here's what to do when you feel triggered. Here's three grounding exercises. So I'm not just like, because what are these kids going to do? Just go stand in the hallway and panic? Like. Can we give them information about what a trigger actually is and what you can do about it so that you don't feel like, uh, you know what I mean? I'm right. Yeah. Yeah. That was not related to what you were talking about, but. No, it it is. It is. I'm so glad though that you had that experience because number one, I think it helps you integrate because this is like an aspect of the thing that you might not have encountered before now. Right. And then like it helps you integrate, but it also like helps you relate to her. And then she feels like she has a relational home because you understand what it's like. And like, it's just, that's huge. It's small, you know, it's not like a, it's a small thing, but it's, um, but there's a lot there. Yeah. It's, but it's not a small thing. Like this is the thing about tiny little joys. The small things are not small. Right. But it doesn't have to be this like speech, like, Oh, I've been where you've been and I understand and let's sit down and it's just like, I get it. Right. Like, oh, and she knows yeah. that I get it. And yep. like, yeah, yeah. There's a lot that's unsaid, but that is, yep. You Communicated. know, 100%. Yeah. Yep. yeah. That's the, that's the other thing is that you can, what attunement looks like doesn't have to be, like you said, a big speech. Right. You know, I, I'm remembering the Grey's Anatomy episode. I haven't watched Grey's Anatomy in like, I haven't watched it in like 15 years, but you know exactly the episode that I'm talking about when George loses his dad or his mom and Christina is like dad is that yeah Christina is like welcome to the club he you know? said i don't know how to live in a world without my father in it and yeah. that was like mm-hmm. don't cry don't cry <laughs> <laughs> and she that, said like that timing was like yeah it was like that thing. year yeah yeah and then and she said you know you're part of a she didn't say welcome to the club in a snarky way even though that was kind of her thing it was like you're now part of a very exclusive, very shitty club that no one wants to join. And what she's saying is you're not alone. Right. Right. Like I get that. Yeah. I get that. I love him. Whatever happened to that actor? Uh, I think he was canceled. Honestly, George. I think so. The other guy was canceled. Which guy? Um, Patrick Dempsey. No, he was canceled. (laughs) 
He was canceled by yes. Shonda Rhimes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then he was uncanceled. Oh. He cheated on his wife in a very public way, and everyone was friends with his wife. And he got he. That's why they killed him off the show. <laughs> For real. <laughs> you, don't, you don't fuck with Shonda Rhimes. <laughs> you don't. It's Shonda. We are living in Shonda Land, friends. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm now I'm like thinking I'm spreading rumors. I have to look. This up. No, you're right. You're right. That sounds familiar. George O'Malley. Oh, okay. That was his name on the show. I don't know. Okay. We've gone down a rabbit hole. Sorry. Okay. No, T- it's fine. TR Knight. I might be thinking of um the, like the blonde woman. Izzy. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think she said something and God can't. Anyway, doesn't matter. Yep. All right. Okay. Thank you for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. Please send this to one friend. Um, if you liked it, if you didn't, uh, don't just keep it to yourself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we are, are always accepting letters and uh, follow up letters too. If you, if we have helped you or not helped you, like in Car Talk, um, in any episode, feel free to email us and keep us posted about where you are. We are at thetraumatapes at gmail.com. And you can also find me on Instagram, mc.phd. Thank you. Thanks for listening.